Hi, today I'm going to be talking about compassionate use of experimental drugs in combating the COVID-19 crisis. I'm going to focus on three drugs that are currently out there in various trials, and those three drugs are hydroxychloroquine, which has been all over the news, remdesivir, and ivermectin. Before we get into these drugs, I'm going to talk a little bit about what compassionate use is. So compassionate use is how the FDA allows experimental drugs to be used outside of traditional clinical trials. You're able to get compassionate use by consulting with your doctor and deciding that that is the course of action you'd like to take. The doctor will then contact the drug company and then the drug company will apply to the FDA on your behalf for permission to issue these drugs to you. And the FDA will consider if the disease is serious, there is no known treatment for the condition, you're ineligible for clinical trials, and you and your doctor think the benefits outweigh the risks. This is also called expanded access studies, um, which refers to late-stage clinical trials for people who may not qualify for traditional trials. So where is this happening with these different drugs? With hydroxychloroquine, which is a malaria drug approved by the FDA for that use, um, trials for hydroxychloroquine is happening basically everywhere, but the focus is Europe and the U.S., the drug is widely available, very inexpensive, is frequently coupled with an antibiotic, azithromycin, um, which is also widely available and very inexpensive. The issue is a lot of the hope that came out of this initially is starting to kind of break down. It's looking like it's not as effective um, in the populations we need it for um, as we thought it was, um, but it is still working for some people. Um, remdesivir, which is not FDA approved for anything yet, but was developed as an Ebola drug, has also been used um, in studies for HIV. Um, this was the drug that was used in China, showed a lot of promise there, and it is being used in the U.S. Um, in the United States, it's particularly being used for compassionate use in pregnant women and children who cannot take hydroxychloroquine, um, but it is still being used here and is under trials. Um, remdesivir has also seen a lot of success with SARS and MERS, which are other um, coronaviruses that we know about and have treated. Um, the problem with remdesivir is because it's not FDA approved, it is not widely available, and it is expensive. Um, and then the third drug is ivermectin, which um, probably heard less about in the news, um, not as out there yet, but has been promising. Um, ivermectin is an anti-parasite drug used for pinworms, but also used for lots of other things. Um, most of the studies in ivermectin, at least early on, were done in Australia, um, but ivermectin is also a very widely available drug. It is also inexpensive. So that could be promising there and that it would be accessible to basically everyone. Now, as far as compassionate use approval goes, the FDA approves about 95% of requests um, typically in a matter of just days. Um, the FDA has also made the application process easier by only requiring one institutional review board member to sign off from the institution that is going to be administering the compassionate use drug or treatment. Um, the FDA has also simplified the application itself and made it easier and faster for doctors to fill it out for their patients. Um, the issue, the holdup, 
is frequently from the pharmaceutical companies, not from anyone else. That's because pharmaceutical companies are very risk adverse and anything that happens outside their clinical trials can still affect their approval pathway. Um, So they're scared of some kind of adverse event like death that would derail their FDA approval. Um, The FDA has addressed this by updating their adverse event policy to require reporting only if there is evidence of a causal link. That still, though, um, still keeps pharmaceutical companies from wanting to do this because they don't want to find a causal link that way. They want to make sure that everything is done within their own clinical trials. And so with all of the compassionate use laws, I also want to talk about right to try laws. Now, right to try laws existed in 41 states, including the state of Tennessee. Um, But now, as of 2018, there is a federal right to try statute, and that was Senate Bill 204 from the 115th Congress. Um, In order to be eligible under the Right to Try Act, you must be diagnosed with a life-threatening condition. And a life-threatening condition, as defined by the federal government, are diseases or conditions where the likelihood of death is high unless the course of disease is interrupted. I see that as kind of a broad, or could be interpreted as a broad definition. Um, Just because something is not life-threatening now doesn't mean it might become life-threatening. And as we see with COVID, um, not everyone experiences a life-threatening form of the disease, but some people do. And so maybe it could be interpreted that way. Um, So you must be diagnosed with a life-threatening condition. You must have exhausted approved treatment options. You must be unable to participate in a clinical trial, and you must give written informed consent. So what drugs qualify under the Right to Try Act? And those are drugs that have completed phase one of clinical trials. So brand new, fresh into trial drugs do not qualify under the Right to Try Act. They must have at least gone through phase one and been deemed safe. Um, They must still be in an active trial for FDA approval and they must be in ongoing development. So they cannot have been discontinued and they could not have been put on a clinical hold. So the pharmaceutical company must still be conducting research on these drugs in order to qualify. Now, right to try laws do not apply to off-label prescribing because doctors already have that ability. Um, So the right to try laws would apply to remdesivir, but they would not apply to ivermectin or to hydroxychloroquine because doctors have the ability to prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin under off-label prescription rules. Um, Companies under the Right to Try Act are banned from making a profit on these drugs. So Gilead, who produces remdesivir, cannot make a profit on Right to Try requests. Um, The patients may be charged for direct costs, but nothing additional. So remdesivir... um, Remdesivir use can't, like patients who use remdesivir can be charged for the cost of production of the drug, um, but Gilead cannot charge anything additional. The issue with this though, experimental drugs are very expensive because they're not widely available. Um, and insurance is not required to cover these drugs. Um, they may choose to, but they are not required to. 
And right to try is similar to compassionate use, but right to try cuts out the FDA approval factor and the need for IRB approval from an institution. So right to try can be done between a patient, the doctor, and the pharmaceutical company. Um, So some legal issues moving forward, discussing all of this, um, a Yale Law Journal article discussed tort liability um, in relation to compassionate use and right to try, basically saying that in order to persuade companies to let doctors use their drugs more widely, that we need tort reform that will decrease tort liability for the pharmaceutical companies and even for the doctors. Um, This will curb some of their risk-adverse nature, um, knowing that they're not going to get sued for all of this. Um, And then the Yale Law Journal article also referenced um, persuading insurance companies to cover or at least partially cover experimental treatments. Um, Cost is a big barrier for a lot of people making experimental treatments a luxury for the wealthy, not for everyone. Um, And if it's not in a full-scale clinical trial where someone can qualify for it, it's not going to get paid for. So trying to persuade insurance companies um, to cover experimental treatments under the Right to Try Act um, can take some pressure off of the socioeconomic barrier that's there. There have also already been issues with hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin in the news. Um, An NBC article published blamed hydroxychloroquine for a fatal heart attack in a woman in New York City. Um, There's no proof that the drug combo actually caused her heart attack, but cardiac complications are known side effects of both drugs. And there has been fear that the two drugs together would simply amplify those effects. And this reflects some issues with off-label liability for doctors. In a time of a pandemic, the benefits are naturally going to look better than any of the risks associated with the drug, especially when this drug has been used for decades and has been known to be safe. Um, the, The liability on doctors for not properly weighing any issues Um, with past heart conditions or family history of heart conditions can come back and bite them. Um, And so we need to see tort reform in times of emergency like this to protect doctors so that they can continue to prescribe the drugs that they think and the patient think are best. Um, And that would be a good pathway forward um, to make drugs more readily available when we're under um, a pandemic such as this where there is no ready-made approved treatment. So I hope you found this interesting, um, dissecting a couple different legal issues um, and some pathways forward. for policymakers and lawyers alike um, to try to reform laws surrounding um, 
experimental treatments for the next time we have a pandemic that things would be more easily accessible. Thank you.